Well, good morning, Providence. We are so glad uh, that you're here. If you're, it seems like we did have a lot of visitors this morning. We're glad that you're here. I think a lot of people from Providence are visiting other churches right now. <laughs> and uh, from other churches all came here. So that's not a bad thing. If you are visiting with us, uh, we are in a series on the seven sign miracles in the Gospel of John. And uh, I don't know if you've thought about this much, but um, what's the value or the purpose of a sign? Generally speaking, we talked a little bit about this this morning in our uh, pre-service meeting, a sign doesn't have significance in and of itself. A sign is important for what it points to. Now, it might be informational, if you recognize that uh, exit right there. Um, but it, I mean, it's information, but it's not like it's going to be critical if I blow past that by accident. You know what I mean? If I miss uh, Vasquez Boulevard, where do I get off? Colorado, yeah. On the other hand, uh, blowing past a sign could be an issue of life or death. Miss that sign. Blow past that sign and see what transpires. And so the sign we're looking at this morning is one of the most familiar accounts in the Bible, as we just read, the feeding of the 5,000. Why is that sign important? Because of what it points to. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Now, John, which we have been preaching through this uh, summer, these miracles, is, really, John is one of four snapshots that you get uh, about the life of Jesus. And... Uh, Actually, there's a point to all the sign miracles that we're looking at. The, the gospel writers are not just simply recounting some historical data about their experience with Jesus. They're making a point. And if you know the, uh, do you know this old story about the blind men from Hindustan? It's a guy, blind guys, some of you know it, uh, blind guys who for the first time experienced an elephant and they were all trying to describe it. And one said, and, you know, an elephant is like a rope. He grabs onto his tail, you know. And the other guy says, no, no, an elephant is like a wall. He's leaning against the side of it. And the other guy says, no, no, an elephant is like a, uh, a tree. He's grabbing onto his leg, you know. Now, which one is right? There is a sense in which they're all right, but they need every, everybody's input to give a full experience or description of what an elephant is. When it comes to Jesus, that's why you have four Gospels. You have four Gospels because each one takes their own perspective. Matthew, who describes Jesus because he's speaking to a Jewish audience, as the one who has the right to rule as Messiah. That's why you have the genealogy in there. We, who don't really have much frame of reference on right to rule and lineage and stuff like that, very important to Jewish folks. And so um, Matthew writes to Jews, Mark writes to primarily a Roman audience, which is 40% slave population at this point. So you don't need a genealogy on a slave. All you want to know is, is the servant obedient? And so you have the Jesus who is king. You hear, he is the servant of God. Luke is a doctor. And so most of the miracles that you find in Luke are uh, healing miracles. He's the suffering servant. John is 
Now, as we're going to look at, the all-powerful Son of God. And he, the essence of these sign miracles that we're working through in John is that they all show that Jesus has ultimate power over everything we fear. And they, they land in a couple of categories. For example, uh, power over nature. When he walks on the water, when he... Well, they were in the midst of the storm, weren't they, in the middle of the sea? And when Jesus uh, simply speaks to the storm, imagine being in New Orleans this past week or two. If you were in the middle of New Orleans experiencing this, and Jesus said, hey, stop. That, that's reflective of some, some power there. The power over sickness also. When he healed who was it? Was it Juan spoke on the uh, healing of that kid long distance? That person's son who was at the point of death had just as much concern and just as much fear over the situation of their kid as any of us would have if our kids were facing imminent death. And Jesus is the one who has the power over sickness. He also has the power ultimately over death. Amen. Lazarus we're going to see before too long certainly resonates with Cito's mom this past week. Why do, why do we grieve but not as those who have no hope? It's because Jesus has the power over all this stuff. So why does he record all this? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that it's not just making me smarter, that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the, today's feeding of the 5,000 apparently is saying something really important because this is the only miracle that shows up in all four Gospels. If every one of the writers records this one in particular, it's pretty significant. And here's what he's going to say. Here's what we're going to see in this text. He meets their physical needs at the moment. He feeds them. But then he offers to meet their spiritual needs forever. He's calling them to make a choice. And I would argue by the end of the sermon, I hope that you see that he is talking to us too. And here's the central issue. Do we simply want what Jesus can give us? Or do we want him? It's one thing to say, Jesus, I need a job. Straighten out this situation on my job. God, give me a spouse. Help us to buy this house. Help us to get this plane on the ground. <laughs> you ever been in that circumstance? I want what he can give me, but do I want him? Well, let's talk just a little bit about, first of all, this astonishing physical miracle. I want to I get to what it's pointing to, but the amazing thing is, there's probably, and we know this story so well, there's probably 15 or 20,000 people on the hillside here. It's 5,000 men, not counting the men and women and children. And so this is a pile of people. And this sign is going to point to something. Actually, it's going to point to the importance that Jesus places on both the physical and the spiritual needs of people. Now, I think that's important to Providence because that's a, that's a big part of who we are, that we are not just a church that is, you know, us four, no more, let's study the Bible together. Um, 
But that rather, even as we just saw with the launch imminently here of uh, Metro South, is that there's a, there's a deep commitment that we have to people, not only spiritually, but physically and socially. We are both of those, material and immaterial. And so, um, now if you've grown up in certain circles, you will know that the commitment to that side of a person, you know, we have the spiritual side and the immaterial, the, the material and the immaterial side. There's a, there's a certain group of folks, a certain group of Christians that say, don't get involved in that physical social stuff. That's a slippery slope. Just preach Jesus. And that sounds very spiritual, but the fact of the matter is um, we're, somehow, we're somehow missing a big part of what the message of the gospel is. So when we see that Jesus is not just going to talk about spiritual, but he's concerned, he has compassion on people physically and socially, that is a huge issue that we cannot simply ignore and say, we just preach the gospel. The church historically has had a deep commitment to compassion ministries. It's only, and if, and if this has not been your experience, count your blessings, but there's a, there's a big chunk of the believing church that, that simply says you shouldn't get involved in physical, social stuff. That is an American anomaly. That is an unusual experience that is, that is tied to an American experience. I'm not going to, I used to teach on this stuff, so I'm not going to give you a semester's worth, but I will say this. A hundred years ago, churches in the United States became very enamored with social issues like education and healthcare. And they lost, really, they just didn't talk too much about Jesus. The, the knee-jerk reaction to that was the fundamentalist movement, which said, you know, if you're out of balance meeting social needs, let's just focus on Jesus. And that's why you have this vast number of churches, many churches, that say, uh, we don't do that kind of stuff. That's why many churches sat on the sidelines in the civil rights era. They said, well, we don't do that kind of stuff. Now, which wing on the airplane, you've heard me often say, which wing on the airplane is more important? Is the left wing or the right wing? Is, is it the social aspect or is it the spiritual aspect? This is one of the clearest examples for the legitimacy of both. As a matter of fact, that's part of the message of the church. It is what theologians call the informing theology behind what we do. It is the informing theology behind cross-purpose, behind providence. Now, we'll get criticized for it. <laughs> you should just know uh, churches like Providence get uh, criticized a lot because, I, don't, I mean, what's the budget of cross-purpose? You could buy a lot of Bibles for that. You could send a lot of missionaries overseas for that. You could buy a lot of radio time and tell people about Jesus. I don't see Jesus running a nonprofit. Well, and some have left Providence over this, or not joined Providence. It is a privilege, let me say this. If, if Scripture gives a, a, a examples of this kind of stuff, that Jesus is a high priority about the uh, compassion of physical and social needs, as well as spiritual, we don't have the, fr the freedom. It is a, to not acknowledge it. It is a privilege to say, uh, we don't do that. As a matter of fact, you can only say that when all of your needs are met. 
If you've slept in an abandoned car for the last three weeks with your kids, let me knock on the window and say, this stuff is not really important. Let's talk, let's have a Bible study about Jesus. I know you're hungry and cold, but that's only temporary. You can't hear me. You can't hear me if I'm talking like that. So I want to move on from that, but I just want to say, when we come to these kinds of experiences, there is this informing theology behind how we do church and how we do even the cross-purpose stuff. Now let's talk about the miracle, and then we'll talk about the impact of it. I think you see here the grace and power of Jesus. Jesus has a compassion for people, uh, and, you, and he has the power to feed 20,000 people on the spur of the moment. I think it's, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on the miracle because we know it so well, but the, isn't it strange that people are eating bread made of wheat that never grew in the ground? <laughs> They're eating fish that never swam in the Sea of Galilee. It's just that Jesus is doing on fast forward what he causes things to do in nature. The, you know, the planting and the sowing and the rain, that's acts of God. Now what's important, and this is where I want to go, what's important is what it points to. Jesus doesn't simply do acts of compassion. He is driving for the spiritual impact uh, of the whole thing. <laughs> what's astonishing is how dull and dead people are spiritually to what Jesus is trying to drive for them. They just don't understand the seriousness of their condition. Sound familiar? They're following Jesus, but are they following Jesus because of they're convinced he's the Messiah and that he's the way to a right relationship with God? A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. There's something attractive about free health care. The pattern of this dullness, though, is astonishing because almost throughout the Gospels, you find Jesus trying to drive for spiritual truth and people only understanding it on the physical. You know, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. What did the Pharisees think? They think he's talking about the physical temple. It took 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to raise it in three days? He's talking about his body. You must be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says what? How's that going to work? I'm going to climb back in my mother's womb? What, what, what are you talking about? Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask of him living water, and he would give it to you. And she says, how's that work? You don't even have a bucket. Pew. The same thing is happening here. They're excited about following Jesus, but Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knows they don't get it. They're excited about what he could give them, but they're not responding to him. They're excited about the wrong Jesus. Did you pick up on this when we read the scripture? After, they, after he fed the bunch, they wanted to take and force him to be king. Not, not because they think he's their, gonna, he's their savior from sin, not only did they have a free health care plan that they've been following, now they got a free lunch program. They're ready to sweep Jesus into power by mob action. They wanted to make him into something he wasn't. 
They wanted to make him into political savior. One who would conquer Rome, make Israel great again, give us free health care. Does that tell you anything? I'll tell you, after 40-some years in the ministry, the fact that people get excited about Jesus, I have learned, is not necessarily a good thing. Because the question is, which Jesus are you excited about? The one who gives you stuff? The one who you think endor- the one who they think endorses their political program? Their political platform? Republican Jesus? Democratic Jesus? Evangelical Jesus, liberal Jesus, which Jesus are they excited about? When people get excited about the wrong Jesus, they will always be disappointed. I think that's behind much of when we talk about the deconstruction of folks' faith. You know, people are deconstructing the faith, they're walking away from Jesus because he's, turns out he's not what they expected. Jesus will not be used. He will not cooperate with people who want to make him into something that he's not. And if you think it's scary to see people walking away from Jesus, imagine Jesus walking away from them. He withdrew to the mountain by himself. He's not going to be a part of that. Now the next day they go looking for him, (laughs) uh, which I think is kind of uh, interesting. And by the way, I'm going, to, I'm going to put a lot of text up here on this scripture because I want, I, want to, I want to track the story with you. And I want you to see, if we were sitting in Starbucks, we'd be reading the Bible, I'd be pointing the text out to you. That's why I put it in front of us. Because if you don't have a Bible in front of you, some of us are not only visual learners, we're auto, auditory learners and vice versa. And so I want you to see the dialogue that's going on here and how Jesus is driving the point of this sign, Okay. He calls out their wrong understanding of him. He says, listen, don't work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures for eternal life. Don't just look at the temporal. Focus on the eternal. The eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And they say, okay, well, what do we need to do? And Jesus says what? Believe in the one who has been sent to you. Believe in him whom he has sent, whom God has sent. He's standing right in front of you. Now, hard to imagine, but look at this. And so they said to him, well, what kind of a sign would you give to us that we can believe you? (laughs) What What had they just experienced the day before? Jesus had just fed 20,000 of them on the hillside And they didn't seem to be impressed. As a matter of fact, uh, they refer back to the wilderness experience. Uh, Our fathers ate the manna in in the wilderness, and it is written, he gave them bread uh, from heaven. (laughs) Jesus has to call them up short. He says, listen, Moses didn't give you that bread. God gave you that bread. And as a matter of fact, he's, he's the one who's giving this bread right here. My father gives you the true bread from heaven.
bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, oh yeah, okay, cool. Give us a daily dose of that. They're still, notice here's the point. It's, it's purely horizontal. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. And so when Jesus says, listen, I'm the bread of life. I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> I think I would have been a little exasperated at this point. Have you ever talked to somebody and you keep telling them stuff and it just keeps going over their heads? You know, he's trying to tell them that he's the bread of life, comes from God to give eternal life, and they're still talking about physical stuff. You won't believe I came down from heaven to do the will of God. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him uh, shall have uh, everlasting life. Sorry. Do you hear anybody talking to you? Because I would argue that conversation Jesus has through the Spirit in our minds constantly as we read Scripture, this is what he's driving to. Do we recognize that Jesus is the one? That's good news. That's good news. And he's, just, he's talking about how to have this right relationship with God. And I would argue when we really understand that, when, and many folks in this room right here have come to saving faith in Jesus, and you remember what it was like when it finally clicked, when the light went on in your head, and you said, oh, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what I need. When the light, when the light goes on, um, I mean, I was 20 years old. I was in the army when I came to faith, and uh, I remember it, it was an instantaneous, like a floodlight went on in my mind to say, that's who Jesus is. That's what I need. I, my life at that point had been like uh, driving a bumper car, you know, just one disaster after another. When, and when I understood that Jesus, the one who would give life and restore a relationship with God, th there was no waffling at this point. I wasn't willing to negotiate with God. So like, well, what are you asking me to do? It's like, I wanted Jesus more than anything else. My favorite author is Anne Lamott. And she describes when the light of spiritual understanding comes on to a person. When you, and it actually clicks. She said it's, it's, like, it's like being in a open marketplace in Morocco. Can you imagine being, some of you have been in those contexts where you don't understand anything that's going on, right? You hear Arabic around you, and you don't understand any of that stuff. And then you hear an English voice over top of it, and you understand, that's English, I understand that. She said that's what it feels like. That's what Jesus is driving for. But now stick with me, because here's the shift in the wind. The shift in the wind comes when he recognized that they loved it when he gave them stuff, but it was obvious they didn't want him. So the Jews grumbled about him. Can you imagine? The best news possible, and they start grumbling. And the bread that came down from heaven is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph. How, how can he say this? Isn't this Mary and Joseph's kid? How can, that, how, can, how can he say, I came down from heaven? Listen, if I talked that way, you would have some serious questions about me. If I said, I came down from heaven in 1954, you'd say, don't you mean you were born in 1954? What do you mean you came down out of heaven? Jesus is the only one who can talk like this. But he says to this, when the Jews are grumbling about him, he's driving this... I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
Now, here's what I would argue. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Because here's Jesus clearly teaching on who he is and what they must do, and they've decided they don't want him. I would argue this happens every time the message of Jesus is explained. People will either respond to it, yes, I want Jesus more than anything, or their decision will be, that's not something I want. It's not an invitation to believe facts. It's an invitation to trust. I was thinking this week, this Moroccan uh, marketplace uh, has stuck in my head for so long. I, th- I, I really like that understanding of it. But, you know, this week it occurred to me that it's not nearly serious enough. It, the urgency is not communicated with that illustration. This, rather, is what communicates, has communicated to me this week. And here's what I mean by that. If you, were at Kabul, if you were at Kabul airport this week and you were surrounded by chaos and you were lost and you had no hope of getting out there by yourself and you heard above the chaos and all of that a voice that said your name, called you by name and said, there's a transport waiting. Come with me. Uh, we'll we'll get you out of here. I can't imagine that at that point I would start asking questions about, well, do I get a window seat? Do they have snacks on the plane? What, what What are the kinds of resistance that I would give if I were in Kabul airport tarmac this week to say, oh, that's my ticket out. That's the way out. 20,000 people were on the hillside with Jesus, and when he offers them a way out, they turned him down. Because within 24 hours, 20,000 people dwindled to 12. Do you get the seriousness of this? I think you get the seriousness of people resisting the way to safety. I think it's contrasted with the beauty of trusting Jesus with the 12. The 12 are the ones, are the only ones who are left. Within 24 hours, they're all gone. And Jesus says, "Um, you want to go away too? Where else are we going to go, they say. Where else are we going to go? We've got nowhere else to go. I don't think, I don't think they're saying it reluctantly. I, th- I think they're saying, Jesus, we're with you. We are with you. Do, you. do you feel that at the core of your being when you consider the whole issue of relationship with Jesus? When it, if your default position is to say, where else am I going to go, Jesus? Listen, some aspects of the faith and living for Jesus, the spiritual life, can be disappointing. That's part of the human experience. But to walk away from Jesus, where else are we going to go? There's a sense in which I think we as believers say, Jesus got us out. Jesus was the only way for me to be delivered. And uh, I have often prayed, God, help me never to get over the fact that you have saved me because I didn't have any other way out. 
Jesus alone. Now, here's what I, I want to finish up with this, but let me say this. If you're already saved here this morning, if you've already made this commitment, um, I think our responsibility, even now, is to pray for people who are standing at the crossroads and Jesus is calling them, whether they will actually follow the one that will take them to safety. So, so if you say, well, what's, it, what's the application for me? Here's one. Preach the gospel to yourself. Never get over the fact, and then pray like crazy for the people who are sitting next to you, or in this room, probably. Because Jesus is inviting them, begging them. This, uh, this evangelistic book, it's out on the table out there. I asked the question in there. Uh, I make the statement in the question uh, that says, uh, Jesus will gladly, if you invite Jesus to take over the the steering wheel of your life, he'll do it. Jesus, Jesus, will, Jesus is not going to get on the passenger side. He's willing to, he's, if you will turn the driver's seat over to Jesus, he will come in. He will not force himself. In the same way, he's not going to force you onto the C-17. Uh, he will invite you to go, but you have to be willing to go. I don't think anybody on the tarmac this past week in said... Uh, if somebody were to say to them, come, come, the transport is here. You are on the manifest. I can't imagine that anybody said, well, I'll take my chances here. Jesus calls us to trust him, to follow him. He is the way, the truth, the life. That's a definite article. He's not a way. He's the way. And that's, that's the whole purpose. That's the whole point of the feeding of the 5,000. Because he's, he's saying, this is physical bread. Don't miss this. I'm what you need for eternity. This is temporary. This is eternal. And when people make that decision, when a person trusts Christ, what happens? Well, their sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He gives us a new nature, new desire, new life. Old desires begin to fade away. New life. Don't you remember this? Some of, some of the life-dominating issues you begin to... Realize, I don't, I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even want that anymore. God gives us this new direction, a new desire, new capacities. He takes up residence in our lives by the Holy Spirit. It's then, don't you remember that if you've been there, that you desire to now know the Bible. You now want to pray. You now desire to be around God people. That was never the case before. Now when the Spirit comes in, he gives new desire and new directions. That's new life in Jesus. And so I'll finish with this. I'm going to pray. Uh, the prayer team is actually going to be at the back, and the prayer uh, room is available. Uh, <clears throat> Josh will come to lead communion. Uh, I'll be at the back as well. And I would just say uh, this. If, if you have questions about this, if you say, that is what I need, or if you even just have other questions about it, we invite you to come talk to the team. There's, uh, I'll be there. Uh, women are there as well. Um, I would invite you, don't leave today grumbling about Jesus. He's calling you to freedom, Amen. and uh, he, wants, he wants us to live a different life. Let me pray for us. Father, we're asking now, we've heard clearly uh, from this uh, testimony of John that you are the source of not only our physical needs, but our spiritual needs. God, would you imprint this deep in our 
DNA that you would reinforce for those who already have made this decision that you would reinforce that and drive that deeper that it would become more deeply meaningful in our everyday life for those who are have never come to that point yet we're not sure if they've ever come to that point God would this be a day that it would just be drawn to you and would see they would hear the voice above the din the voice that is clear and understandable above all the rest of the chaos around them God this is a day of salvation for some we're asking that you would draw folks and that folks would willingly respond. I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.